Follow along in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I have spent, for the most part, my entire life um, involved in athletics, especially the sport of basketball. Um, That's why most of my illustrations come from sports and basketball, so sorry about that. But uh, basketball, even though it's not life, But over and over again, it reminds me of life in certain ways. And one way is this. On a team, the individual players on that team, the controlling desire of their hearts has an enormous impact on the health of the team. It impacts success in terms of wins and losses. It impacts how fun it is to be a member of that team. Pretty much everything is impacted by what is the controlling desire of the individuals that make up that team. Now, if you ask a, a, a member of a team what their main desire is, they will all say something like, I want the team to win, or I want to have fun. In my experience, that's often not true. (laughs) Winning is important to each one of them because it's an ingredient in their real controlling desire. Most, if many, many, maybe even most, athletes want to use athletics as a way to get toward their controlling desire. Because what they really want, they want to seem significant. They want to be congratulated. They want to be superior. They want to be um, notable. They want to be dominant. That's their controlling desire. And so winning games is important to an athlete like that because it's hard to feel superior and dominant when your team loses. But there are other ingredients into feeling superior and dominant that really go against a real team concept. Because if what I want is to be notable and superior, I want that over my teammates as well. So I want to be on the varsity, not the JV, a starter, not a bench player. I want the position I want to play. I want to score more points. 
I want to be the guy asked to guard the other team's best player. And sometimes that puts me at odds with my teammates. And then there are these few, and I mean few, special teams where really the controlling desire of the kids becomes team success. And holy cow, is that a lot of fun when that happens. It doesn't happen very often, but it's awesome when it does. Bill Walton, if you know who Bill Walton is, NBA Hall of Famer and general weirdo, um, Bill Walton, he used to ask this question this way, and I think it comes from his time playing for John Wooden, but he said, can you decide as a player that your happiness can come from someone else's success? Can you decide that your happiness can come from someone else's success? If someone's controlling desire is team success, that's possible. But if someone's controlling desire is seeming superior, being notable, that's impossible. It's not possible. It's also why it's so hard to be a parent of an athlete. Because you know what we want for our kids? For them to be notable and special and superior. Now, what does all of that have to do with the Beatitudes? These sayings that Jesus chose to to begin his Sermon on the Mount with. has more to do with the subject at hand today than you would think. Because when Jesus begins to teach, and where we're at in the book of Matthew, this is his first teaching, he is beginning to build his kingdom, which is like a team. And this team that he is building only functions well and is only even enjoyable for the members when they have the correct controlling desire. And what I'm going to contend here this morning as we go through the Beatitudes again is it's very, very common even for Christians to have a controlling desire that sounds Christian but misses the mark of what our controlling desire is supposed to be. It's very, very, very common. I can tell you it's common because I have this as my controlling desire all the time. But just like with the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, which we're going to be in for a long time, when Jesus Christ is supreme in my life, I'll have a different controlling desire than most of the rest of the world. All right, for the past few weeks, we've been studying the Beatitudes, which are just these blessing sayings of Jesus. Um, As as Dennis read those, even if you, if this is your first time in church, you've heard some of those. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the the meek. They shall inherit the earth. These blessing sayings uh, of Jesus, we've been studying just these first four for two weeks. We're going to finally move off of them today. The first thing we did was sort of define what these things mean. These first four are very foundational to Christianity. In fact, if you don't understand the concepts Jesus is getting at, I'm not sure you're a redeemed person, a saved person. Um, 
So we defined these out first. First, Jesus' very first teaching is the blessed person is someone who's poor in spirit. And someone who's poor in spirit is someone who understands that just like a, a destitute poor person doesn't have what he needs in order to buy what he needs to survive, a person who's poor in spirit doesn't have internally, spiritually, what he needs to get from God, what he needs to survive spiritually, eternally. I'm broke spiritually. I'm bankrupt before God. I'm not good enough to be accepted by God. That's poor in spirit. The blessed person, Jesus says, is someone who mourns. In other words, they understand, when they understand they're they're bankrupt spiritually before God, it breaks their heart and gives them this desire, this mourning, that my greatest need is something I don't have. I need to be acceptable before God, and I'm not. Then Jesus said, this blessed person remains meek. Your Bible might say gentle. What that means is, uh, the Greek word there means that I am, I refuse to try to fix my spiritual condition. So the first three mean I'm destitute before God. It breaks my heart. I know I need to be acceptable. And I know because I'm meek, I am unable to do anything that will fix my spiritual condition. That means I need a Savior. And that should create in me a hunger and a thirst in the fourth beatitude for what I do not have, which is righteousness. And two weeks ago we said the only way this works without becoming a catch-22, if I think, hey, I'm, I'm unrighteous before God, so what I've got to do is start being good so God will accept me, that'll never work. I must hunger and thirst after a righteousness I cannot obtain but will be given when I believe that what Jesus did at the cross, he did for me, he took my sin upon himself and that was fully punished. And when I believe in that, the Bible says, I will not perish, I will have eternal life. Because as Paul says in Romans, I will be given the righteousness of Christ. Those are the first four Beatitudes. All of the Beatitudes describe one kind of person that has all of these kinds of characteristics. And one day that person will be blessed. This is the last thing I want to define before we move on. When Jesus said this person will be blessed, what he means is that person will be congratulated by God. That person will have his happiness increased and his circumstances improved because of God's reaction to him. Those are the foundational four Beatitudes. Last week we talked about how we generally tend to, a couple of ways we tend to misapply these things. I won't review those this morning. I'd invite you to listen to that sermon through our website because a couple of very common ways that people sort of think they're doing the Beatitudes but really aren't. And today we're going to talk about one more. We are going to move off of these first four Beatitudes and cover the rest, but first... I want to give you one more way that we misapply this foundational part of being a Christian. And it has to do with what our core desire is, what are the desire that controls our hearts and our lives getting it misplaced. 
I always want you to pay attention. Okay? But today, if you'll grasp this concept, if I will grasp this concept, if we will grasp this concept, if we can avoid this error I'm going to tell you about, it will unlock the possibility of doing the rest of biblical Christianity. I'm, I'll, I'm going to contend this morning that if we don't get this right, it will be impossible for us to consistently follow Jesus and do his teachings because our willpower will not get them done. The last misrepresentation of the, or misapplication of the Beatitudes comes in verse 6, that fourth Beatitude. And it comes from sort of understanding those as if the words were twisted around. I heard Tim Keller mention this one time. It really got me thinking it has stuck with me. But I think very often, we live as if the fourth beatitude is misworded. The fourth beatitude actually says this at the top of the screen. Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. The bottom here, I think this is how we live. This is what we tend to believe. This error is actually the foundation of every other religion besides biblical Christianity. We live as if what Jesus said is, righteous are those who hunger and thirst for blessing, for they will be satisfied. Righteous are those who hunger and thirst for blessing, for they will be satisfied. If that's what Jesus said, the one on the bottom of the screen, here's what that would mean. Do you hunger and thirst for blessing? Do you want that congratulations? Do you want um, your happiness increased and your circumstances improved? Then you better be righteous. Because righteous are those who hunger and thirst for blessing. The problem here, when I live that way, I have the wrong controlling desire. What Jesus really said is that my controlling desire is for righteousness. You know why Jesus called it a hunger and thirst? You know, why didn't he just say, blessed are those who desire righteousness? He didn't say that. He said, blessed are those is the one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. That's a controlling desire. You ever been really hungry? When you're really hungry, you can't think about much else. It's a controlling desire. You don't have to try really hard to be hungry either. It controls you. Jesus is talking about a controlling desire. The correct controlling desire is to hunger and thirst after Christ and his righteousness and his kingdom. The misplaced one, the one in error is when I hunger and thirst for blessing, when I hunger and thirst for congratulations, improved circumstances, increased happiness. Do you see why I call this bottom one the error, the the main idea behind most every religion in the world? Every religion in the world says this. There's some kind of God, God, force, God's whatever out there you better figure out what he, she, or it desires and, and do it. And if you do, good stuff will happen to you. That would be righteous are those who hunger and thirst for blessing. Makes logical sense. Be good. God will be good to you. 
It's just not biblical. It's anti-gospel. It denigrates the cross of Christ, and it's not at all what he taught. And it just comes from having the wrong controlling desire. Don't hear me wrong. I desire God's blessing. Full disclosure. I much prefer God's blessing to other things, (laughs) right? I like increased happiness more than I like decreased happiness, right? That's the kind of rich material you come here to hear, right? I, I like it when things are good better than I like it when things are bad. But a controlling desire is something different. And we've got to get this straight. When Jesus taught this, necessarily the person he was describing was not someone whose hunger and thirst was for their, was for blessing, was to be happier, to have better circumstances and and more congratulations. Necessarily, that has to be true. What, who Jesus is describing is someone who is the way he describes in the Beatitudes and their blessing will come later. But they aren't the way they are because they hunger and thirst for blessing. Here's how I know this. On the right of the screen is all the blessings Jesus describes. It's a description of eternal life. Uh, this blessed kind of person, here's what he or she will receive. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. They become a co-owner of the kingdom. They get completely comforted. They inherit the earth, which is the same thing as being a co-owner of the kingdom because Jesus' kingdom will be on earth and then the new earth. This person will be satisfied. They'll be shown mercy. They'll see God. They'll be called children of God. But their rewards will be great where and when? In heaven. Here's how I know. This person that Jesus is describing, their main hunger and thirst is not for blessing. Because if you look at the left side of the screen, the person Jesus is describing does not look all that blessed. If you describe somebody using all the terms in the, in the Beatitudes, you would not say, now there is a person who's enjoying the blessing of God. They're poor in spirit. They mourn. They're meek. They hunger and thirst after something none of the rest of the world hungers and thirsts for. They're merciful, which means when someone hurts them, they do not give them what they deserve. They're pure in heart. They're a peacemaker. They're persecuted. They're insulted. And they have all kinds of evil things said about them. You would not look at someone like that and say, boy, are they blessed. Because their blessing is someday, not now. Hungering and thirsting after righteousness, hungering and thirsting after blessing are not the same thing. This may sound like I'm splitting hairs, but I'm not. If I... Give me a second here. I don't want to say this incorrectly. I'll say it this way. Here's why this is not the same thing. I can pursue righteousness. If my main hunger is for Christ and His righteousness, I can do that when my worldly blessings fall apart. But the opposite of that is not true. 
if what I really hunger and thirst for, because I cling to Jesus, because I'm poor in spirit, and I know I need your righteousness, and I can't achieve it, so I hold on to Jesus, and I pursue Him, and he, His righteousness begins to leak through me. And that's my, what I hunger and thirst for, is Jesus Christ in my life. When my worldly blessings are stripped away, I can still pursue my, my core desire. Now let's try it the other way. If what I really desire is improved circumstances, increased happiness, and congratulations, if that's the desire that controls my heart, and then on the side I try to be good while I'm doing that, when someone harms my worldly blessing, I will never have the willpower to hold on to righteousness because I'm, I'm my controlling desire. What controls me is being threatened, is being harmed. Especially when someone else is getting blessing that I wish I had, I feel like I should get. And especially when they are not as righteous as I am. I will resent the injustice of the whole situation and my righteousness will go out the window because I'm controlled by a different controlling desire. Does that make sense? If my hunger and thirst is for righteousness, I can always reflect Christ no matter what's going on around me. Have you ever read through difficult things Jesus teaches and and just gone... How can you possibly ask us to do that? Honestly, you ever like read through the New Testament sometime and you'll come to things like this. Never return evil when somebody's evil toward you. Never give an insult back when somebody insults you. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. You ever read that stuff and go, now come on. How could anybody possibly do that? I'm trying to give you the only answer there is. If the core desire of my heart is Christ and his righteousness, I actually can do that. When my core desire is blessing, I have no chance of doing that. I have zero chance of pulling that off. And now here's where we want to go where I want to go on to the rest of the beatitudes. Because here's what I want to show you. Getting that right, the correct core desire, is what unlocks the possibility of you doing the rest of the Beatitudes and the rest of the thing Jesus, things Jesus taught that you think are impossible and no one could ever do. It makes it possible. In the same way a basketball player, the only thing that makes, them, makes it possible for them to enjoy someone else's success is if they have a controlling desire that's not my blessing. We're going to go through these one by one and sort of test them. In fact, we've covered that. In fact, I'd tell you, you can't help but do these things correctly if you're, con- if you're controlled by the right desire, the hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because it's not based on your willpower. Let me show you what I mean. 
A hunger and thirst for righteousness unlikes the possibility of living out the rest of the Beatitudes. We'll take them one at a time. Verse 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. What's it mean to be merciful? It means you do not give someone what they deserve. Scenario 1. Your heart is controlled by a desire for blessing. Congratulations, improved circumstances, increased happiness. If you have the opportunity to be merciful to someone, it's only because they've done something to harm you, to threaten you, to harm someone you love. They've threatened your blessing. If blessing is what controls your heart, when that person does something to harm your controlling desire, what are your chances of being truly merciful to that person? Bupkis. Now, you might not be immediately vengeful, but you're not merciful in your heart. You know what you do? You save it for later. You haven't been merciful. You've delayed the sentence. You've put them on double secret probation so that the next time they do something or the next time or the next time I've got all these things and now you hurt my blessing. Let me show you what I'm going to do. Let me show you what you deserve. Jesus said, the blessed person is merciful. Let's take this from the other scenario. Let's say, by the grace of God, that my controlling desire is for the righteousness of Christ in my life. Which means I always carry around my poorness of spirit and I understand at all times how merciful God was to me when I was 100% wrong and he showed me mercy. Then when, when you harm my, my blessing, my heart goes, how can you not be merciful to him? After what God has done, to you. Verse 8, Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Notice first, this doesn't say, Blessed are those who act like they are pure in heart. It says, Blessed are those who are pure in heart. Nobody sees this one but you. What's it mean to be pure in heart? All right. Same scenario, I'm controlled by my blessing. I want congratulations, increased uh, happiness and improved circumstances. If that is the case, are, are you aware that there are ways to get stuff in life that feels like blessing, that is increased congratulations, improved circumstances, increased happiness through less than pure motives and less than pure methods? When I'm not pure in heart because I'm controlled by blessing, my desire for blessing, that's when I have. Here's my desire for blessing, and I'm going to try just manipulate you to work toward my blessing. I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to hide my real motive, but I'm going to try to get you to work toward where I want you to go without making it seem like that's where I want you to go. That's an impure heart. One example. There are many. Let's try it the other way. If... If my heart is set on Jesus Christ and his righteousness, how can my heart be anything but pure if he is my main desire? Verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called 
sons of God. When my heart is set on blessing, increased happiness and congratulations and improved circumstances, I won't be a peacemaker. You know why? Because earthly blessing is always comparative in nature and competitive in nature. You know when I get threatened about my level of blessing? When I think you have more. And if I think you have more, I can't, I can't be a real reconciler with you. I'm a competitor with you. When the controlling desire of my heart is Jesus Christ and his righteousness and he is the prince of peace and he did everything it took to reconcile me to a holy and righteous God, to make peace with me, how can I not want that with someone else and between them and God? I'm telling you, the controlling desire for Christ and his righteousness is the only thing that makes any of the rest of this stuff remotely possible. If you don't believe me, check out the last three verses. Jesus says, blessed are those who've been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. By the way, persecuted because they pursue what? Righteousness. Verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because you pursue me. In verse 12, he says, rejoice! Hooray! Persecution! For your reward is great in heaven. Do you know how impossible this is if your heart is set on blessing? This isn't possible at all because none of this is blessing. It's removal of earthly blessing. You can maybe white-knuckle it and hang on and not go after retribution and, oh, I'm not going to return that insult and say evil things back. But you're not going to rejoice if my heart is locked onto the righteousness of Christ as my main desire. When you speak evil things against me that I know aren't true, when you insult me, here's what my heart knows. You can't get at my main desire. You can threaten me. You can say evil things against me. You can kill me if you want to. You can't get at what controls my heart. You can't get at my controlling desire because he hasn't moved an inch. And I can even say, oh, Lord Jesus, is this, what, this is just a tiny little bit of what you went through. You won't know what it's like to have evil spoken against you. You know what it's like to be persecuted. Now I can share this with you and I rejoice, not because of what's happening with my blessing. That pain will still be real. But my joy doesn't go anywhere because it's untouchable. It's unshakable. I can't lose it. While we end here, and I'm going to ask our musicians to go ahead and and come up here because we'll spend a little bit of time here, but I just want to ask you to consider honestly with yourself, what is the controlling desire of your heart? Here's the crazy thing. Jesus teaches all these things that seem like such paradoxes. The crazy thing is, it's the hunger and thirst for righteousness that satisfies. Because we don't ever get what we hunger and thirst for. He gives it to us, but we can't be the righteousness we desire. It's why we have to hang on to Him. So, 
the key that unlocks sort of real honest to goodness discipleship is we have to quit hungering and thirsting for stuff we actually can achieve but the world can take away from us and start hungering and thirsting for this thing that we can't achieve and the world can't take away from us. So let me just give you a minute. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? And I just want you to spend some time inside your own mind, in your own heart, answering this question. What is the controlling desire of my heart? Now spend a minute just asking the Lord Jesus to begin to change the desires of your heart, to set them on Him and His kingdom and His righteousness. God, uh, I believe this is just where we live. This is the Christian struggle where we are stuck between desiring like what you can give us and desiring you. One preacher said, we don't want you as much as we want your stuff. But God, we know how unsatisfying it is to be controlled by a desire for happiness and having more and and seeming superior and being impressive. It's so much work and it's so stressful to have a heart stuck on what we can lose. So God, I pray in each and every one of us, you would begin to more and more draw our hearts toward you and your kingdom and your righteousness. God, help us next time our blessing is threatened, understand how we can have the best pursuit even while our blessing on earth is lessened. And I thank you that our eternal blessing cannot be scratched by the things of this world help us be more concerned with the truth you know about us in our hearts than the lies the world believes or tells and I thank you for unlocking in us a possibility of a kind of discipleship and following that on our own we are simply not capable of we love you Lord Complete that in us, in Jesus' name. Amen.